Good, e good evening as always. I count it a great privilege that we are able to gather with one another and to offer our praise and worship to God. If you will get your Bibles and we're going to do a, uh, our study is going to come from Galatians 3 and I hope as we get into it, even though it's a fairly, uh, addressing some things very strictly, I, th I hope as we get into it that you will see how I would like for us to think about it and apply it to ourselves today. In verse 1 we read, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfected by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That is really small writing in that Bible. Um, So as Paul writes, is writing this letter to the church in Galatia, he describes them as foolish. And he does that for seeking to be protected, uh, perfected by the flesh through the keeping of the old law. In Galatians 5, verse 4 through 8, we read, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which works by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion comes not of him that calls you. And so again in our initial reading, he's, he says that they had been bewitched or led astray. And he sought to reason with them. He said that Christ had been clearly portrayed as crucified. And he asked if they had received the Spirit through the hearing of faith or by the works of the law. Could we today face similar dangers? Might we be bewitched through false teachings and false representations of God's word? In Matthew 7, verse 15, we are clearly warned, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. 1 John 4, verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. In Colossians 2, Paul Warned of being cheated. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So he warns us of being cheated or led away through philosophy and principles of the world. In 1 Timothy 4, 
Beginning in verse 1, he warns that some will depart from the faith and warns us against that. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times shall some depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their, sears, their, their conscience seared with a hot iron. And he goes on to continue to, to warn about being turned aside unto fables, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And we see that and have seen that clearly for years and years, but he is addressing Christians here and warning of that happening within the church. The time has come when people have turned away from the truth and turned unto fables. And such a warning clearly confirms the danger to us today to not be led astray, to not be foolish, to not be bewitched. Do not be led away by the traditions of men. Denominationalism, attend the church of your choice, rather than encouraging people to attend a congregation that teaches and believes the Bible. <laughs> Philosophies of men, humanism, secularism, postmodernism, false teachers who appeal to, to people's greed, the gospel of wealth. And we are challenged by false doctrines, denying God and Jesus, any religion that denies or any teaching that denies the deity of Christ is false. Also through, through our um, earthly teachings, which has been in place a long time, the teaching of evolution, which denies God as creator. And we are assaulted, it seems, more and more and increasing uh, fervor with the sins of this world to be celebrated or accepted and celebrated as normal and acceptable. And I think that is one of the things that is clear danger to us in the, in the church, particularly to our youth, whenever it is presented as being loving to accept these things. So I'd like us to Consider then our solution. And we remember from Galatians 3 verse 1 as we read that Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 23 through 24, we pre it says we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jew and Greek, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And it's interesting to me how people are so determined to deny the existence of Jesus when so much of history is based on His life. 
the calendar we live under, the, 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 the centuries as they are counted before and after that time. And when we consider Christ crucified, as we gathered around this table as God's children, we were, are reminded in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, that as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. It's a remembrance, and it is powerful. It is not a ritual. It is something that we participate in to focus our mind and to proclaim through our lives and through participation in that to proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus was crucified for our sins, and thus the law of Moses with its works, circumcision, and other old covenant practices cannot save us, nor can any doctrine that denies God or the need for Jesus' death. There is no other gospel that can save us. Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Galatians 1 verse 8, But though we, the writer says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, than that's which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And so there's a discourse that's going to take place in here that talks about the heirs of Abraham. And central to the importance of Abraham are the promises that God made to him. Uh, if you would choose to write this down, I'm not going to turn and read all of it, but um, Genesis 1 and verse 1 and 7 says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from the kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Genesis 13, verses 15 through 17. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I give it unto thee. He made a nation promise in Genesis 12, verse 2. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And then there is the seed promise. In Genesis 12, verse 3, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Genesis 22, verse 18, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. And the, the fulfillment of this promise is central to the theme of the Bible. And the Bible reveals that God fulfilled these promises. The nation promise via the descendants of Israel in Genesis 46 verse 3. The land promise when when the children of Israel entered into the promised land and the seed promise with the coming of Christ. Acts 3, verse 25 and 26. Ye are children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, 
sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from his iniquities. And apparently in the early church, there were some who sought to limit this seed promise and possibly limit it, limit it to those who were descendants of Abraham. Acts 15 and verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. And in verse 5 of that same chapter, But there rose up certain of the sect of Pharisees which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So is the law of Moses important? In teaching they were justified by faith in Christ, Paul re reminded the Galatians that they received the Spirit by the hearing of faith. The heirs of Abraham were, were those of faith in Galatians 6, uh, 3, 6 through 9. Those of the works of the law were under a curse. Galatians 3, 10 through 12. Christ has redeemed them from the curse of the law, and even Gentiles could now receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. I believe with such comments concerning the law that Paul likely anticipated some objections. What purpose did the law then serve? What, is it, what was its relation to the promises given to Abraham, or the promise given to Abraham? And we today, as Christians, living under these final days, as under the Christian dispensation, might ask ourselves, what value is the old law to us today? Do we even need to study it, since we are not under the law? I believe this chapter will easily answer these questions and lay them out clearly. So I want to look at what at the law and what its purpose was not. It was not to change the promises made to Abraham. In Galatians 3 verses 15 through 17. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuls it or adds thereto. Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He said not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after cannot disannul that it should make the promises or the promise of none effect. The purpose of the law was not to provide the promise made regarding the seed. In verse 18 of our chapter, for if the inheritance of the law is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham, Abraham by promise. So to Abraham and his seed, Jesus Christ, where the promise is made. The law did not make the promise of no, no effect, nor did it provide the inheritance regarding the seed. So what was its purpose? 
The purpose of the law was added because of transgression, beginning in Galatians 3, verses 19. Wherefore, then serve the law. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which would afterwards be revealed. Part of the purpose of the law was to reveal to man his sinfulness. It was not against the promise. The Old Testament was not against the promise, but it could not provide life. It confined all, over, all under sin that the promise might be given to those who believed. It was a tutor to lead them and to us to Christ. Galatians 3, verses 24 and 25. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith, but after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So it is to bring specifically at that point, and some of this we'll see addressed, is to bring the Jews. At that time, God's chosen people to Christ. Now that faith, or Jesus, has come, they are no longer under the old law. The old law came to an end when, nailed, when it was nailed to the cross. Colossians 2, verses 14 through 17. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. Triumphing over them, let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are shadows of things to come, but the body is of Christ." In Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes, were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made us both one, and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in him of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the en enmity thereby. Jews converted to Christ have died to the law. Romans 7, verse 1 through 6. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, to the Jews, or Jewish Christians, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband is dead, she is loosed from the, her husband. So then, if when her husband lives, she be married to another, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she is freed from that law, so that she is no 
adulteress, though she be married to another. And here's the application. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who raised him from the, raised from the dead, that he should bring forth fruit unto God. For then we are, were in the flesh. The motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we are held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of letter. And so he compares this to a marriage, and I want to point out that the church, the redeemed, are Christ's bride. And so we hear Christ referred to as the bridegroom and us as the bride. Just as the church is the pillar and ground of the truth, the kingdom, or the church. So we see that it's been replaced with the new covenant, Hebrews 7, verses 18 through 19. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the, wicked, for the weakness and unprofitability thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did by the which we draw nigh unto God. Hebrews 8, verse 13. In that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Hebrews 9, verse 9. Which was a figure of the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Hebrews 10 verse 9, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. The law was holy and good. And we learned that, as I say, if you want to... Uh, write down these reference scriptures from Romans 7 verse 12 but it was designed to be temporary with the coming of Christ and his new covenant it came to an end as a system of justification Galatians 5 verse 4 Christ has become of no effect unto you whoever of you are justified by the law you are fallen from grace what purpose if any does the Old Testament serve then to the people of Christ today to his to Christians and the children of God. I think the answer is very simple. It's for our learning. Paul wrote in Romans 15, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Things written before that were written for our learning, these were Old Testament Scriptures, and they were written and preserved for the people of this age today, for Christians' benefits. The Old Testament provides us with patience and comfort that we might have hope. It provides a record of God's faithfulness and how he kept his promise, his promises. We have a record of his promises to Abraham and the nation of Israel. We have record that he judged the wicked and avenge the righteous, that he forgives the penitent and protects the humble. 
We read the story of we read the story of God dealing with Israel. It gives us assurance that God will keep His promises to us. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 10, Paul talks about and reminds the people there of Corinth of Israel's fall in the wilderness. And in verse 11, he said, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the earth are come. The events described in that chapter happened to the children of Israel, but they were written for our admonition. We should not be surprised to see how often New Testament writers appealed to the Old Testament in their effort to teach Christians. The writer of Hebrews in exhorting Christians to remain steadfast in Hebrews 3, verses 12 through 19 James encouraging Christians to be patient in their suffering in James 5, 7 through 11. And Peter in warning of false teachers and scoffers in 2 Peter 2 and verse 3. And again, I reference these, but to turn and read all of these scriptures would be, um, make for a very lengthy study. We need to study the Old Testament to be reminded of the very real danger we face when we reject adherence to God's word. In 2 Timothy 3 verses 14 and 15, Paul noted that Timothy had known the holy scriptures since his childhood or since his youth. When Timothy was a child, the only scriptures available were the Old Testament scriptures. So Paul clearly had the Old Testament in view. And he said it was able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ. It clearly points to Christ. And how is this possible? It provides the fall of man and the rise of sin, the background and development of God's plan of redemption, hundreds and hundreds of messianic prophecies, which describe what to expect when Jesus would come. And we cannot fully hope to understand books like Hebrews without understanding something about the Levitical priesthood or Revelations without understanding some of the prophecies that we find there as well. If we wish to be wise concerning our salvation in Christ and understand the nature of God, it is important for us to study the Old Testament along with the New. For the children of Israel, the law served a valuable purpose. It helped them to understand the nature of sin and the need for redemption as it does for us. It guided them until the promise of Christ through whom God blessed all the nations. And for Christians today, the Old Testament Old law continues to serve a valuable person purpose for our learning and admonition for our wisdom and our spiritual profit. There are many, many examples in Hebrews 11. Examples of great people of faith 
And I'd encourage you to go read through that. To look at how they were delivered. And to look at those also who were people of faith. Who are, of whom no name is given us. That taught of their sufferings because they looked for a better kingdom. And they were willing to die in order to obtain that. In this letter to the Galatians, Paul dealt with this issue. As we now, now turn back to chapter 3, refer back to it, I want to note that the, who the true heirs of Abraham are. They are the sons of Abraham, as God called them in Galatians 3, verse 6. In Hebrews 11, Verse 6, we are taught that without faith it is impossible to please God. Abraham's faith was accounted to him for righteousness, and we read of that in Genesis 15 and verse 6. Indeed, only those of faith are sons or the children of Abraham. So picking up in Galatians 3 verse 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And this is what the seed reference, uh, promise has reference to in Galatians 3 verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, In thee shall all the nations be, let, be blessed. In verse 9, so then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Those who have that same kind of faith, obedient faith, do the works of Abraham, or the works of faith that are desired of us. John 8, verse 39, Jesus said unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. The heirs of Abraham are not those who seek to be justified by the law. As apparently some Jewish Christians were, in the early church. Galatians 3 verse 10 says, For as many of us as are, are, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. The law cursed those who did not keep them. The law also proclaimed all to be sinners. We are not justified by the works of the law. Galatians 3, 11 and 12. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For they, for the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. It is through faith like Abraham's that one becomes an heir of, his, of Abraham. Those who seek salvation through the works of the law today are not his true descendants or they are not his true heirs. But it is more than simply faith. It is faith in the right person. Thus, the true heirs of Abraham are those who, whom Christ has redeemed they are redeemed from the curse of the law. He became a curse for us by dying on the tree, Galatians 
Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. He bore his sins, he bore our sins in his body. 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. And so he offers redemption through his blood. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Those who Jesus redeems are recipients of the blessings of Abraham. And that includes Gentiles. It includes us. Galatians 3, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. In verse 16, now to Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he said not as to seeds as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. They have received the promise of the Spirit in verse 14. Jesus promised to those who believe in John 7, verses 37, beginning verse 37, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake, spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And at the beginning of our chapter in verse 2, Paul reminded them that they had received this through faith. In Galatians 3, 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye also, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he arose again the third day according to the scriptures. The great privilege is offered to those who believe in Jesus. John 1 verse 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Those who, are, those who believe are given the right to become God's children. How their faith leads them to become God's children is explained in chapter 27 of our text. For as many of you has been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Through baptism into Christ, we become children of God. And Paul goes on to explain that we become children of God by faith in Christ. It is in baptism that we put on Christ. 
In baptism, as Craig talked about this morning, we are buried with Christ. Romans 6, verse 3 through 8. Know ye not that as many of us were as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we also in the likeness of his we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if, he, if we be dead with Christ, we believe we also shall live with him. In baptism, we are united with Christ. In baptism, we are clothed with Christ. So who then are the heirs of Abraham? and heirs of the promise made regarding his seed. It's those who walk in faith, those who Christ has redeemed, recipients of the promise of the Spirit. It is those who become children of God through faith in Christ, having clothed themselves in Christ in baptism. The heirs of Abraham regarding the seed promise are not those who claim to be so because their lineage or who seeks salvation through keeping the law of Moses. In the closing verses of our chapter 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus, and if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Are you in Christ tonight? Have you put on Christ as you obeyed the uh, baptism, obeyed the gospel in baptism? If you have not, then we'd encourage you to do that today, to accept the invitation of Jesus to be one of his and one of his heirs. If there's one who has started that walk and feels that they need the prayers of their brethren, for strength, would invite you to come as we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>